the Ghost Goal Podcast. Manchester City claimed a heavy defeat of Manchester United in the first Manchester derby of the season, winning 3-0 at Old Trafford over the weekend, while Chelsea undid their good spell by losing 2-0 and dropping their fourth game of the season while we sit here at the end of October. There were big wins for Arsenal and Liverpool, and a record eighth Ballon d'Or win for Lionel Messi in yesterday's Ballon d'Or award ceremony. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Welcome to the Ghost Goal Podcast, episode 429. Javier, how are you feeling after that uh, big, but not completely unexpected win over Sheffield United over the weekend? You guys got yourself a 5-0 win. Uh, we're not going to hit on that too much. Yeah, I was uh, going to we'll... say, I don't, I, don't, I don't feel like I need to talk about that that much, other than, uh, number one, Eddie Nketiah getting a hat-trick that came out of nowhere. I did not expect that the quality of the goals were... Fantastic. He could have even had a fourth. He gave the penalty to Vieira. So realistically, he probably had four goals in this game. I mean, just unreal performance from him, especially the the third goal for the hat trick. What confidence like going forward. I you know, hope he can carry that on. I know it was just Sheffield United. They were giving us a lot of space and that game was very routine for us. But having said that, I think that this is only good for Arsenal that we can lose a player like Jesus for a couple of weeks and you know, a player like Nketiah can come in who wasn't really on good form. Um, you know, we made a couple of changes in this game. Kai Havertz, Odegaard dropped to the bench. He hadn't been playing well for the last couple of weeks, so he was given a rest. He didn't even come on. And he's Kai's looked a little bit better now that he has a little bit less pressure and he can play in a game like this. Obviously, it's just Sheffield, probably the worst team in the league. So, you know, between them and Luton, they're uh, they're competing for that title. But yeah, not, not, not a ton to take from it, but uh, happy for Eddie and... Uh, yeah, we showed who uh, who got lucky last week. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about Arsenal a little bit later because they do have a big matchup uh, going up to Newcastle this weekend uh, on Saturday. Uh, but let's jump over to the Manchester derby. As I mentioned, City, they got a 3-0 win uh, against Manchester United. Uh, Erling Haaland with two goals and then set up Phil Foden's, uh, let's just basically call it the, the goal that sealed the game uh, to make it 3-0. A somewhat impressive uh, performance by Manchester City, but when you look at the team sheet for Man United, it, it just kind of seems like par for the course from what you would expect for uh, for City at this point. You know, you see, you see Harry Maguire, jo- Johnny Evans, and and Lindelof in, in the back line when there are players like Varane who was available on the bench but still didn't start, and you think, yeah, it makes sense that Holland you know, could have had you know four or five uh, goals by himself. I only ended up with the two, but uh, what did you make of of this city performance? Were you expecting or were you expecting them to drop any points at Old Trafford like they did last year? I mean, I remember what I said, Alex. I said four one was my prediction for this game. Three nil, pretty close to the uh, same thing. They city should have easily had you know four or five goals. Holland missed, like you said, a couple sitters basically that he should have uh, finished but he ends up his quality shows through and uh, you know he even sets up Foden with a really nice cutback and uh, cross for a tap in for Foden so uh, all around phenomenal performance from Erling Holland showing that uh, you know he's still the best in the world he's still the best striker in the world and this team when they play through him they're, they're going to win games um, having said that for Manchester United I think we got to focus on them you know what was wrong for them because 
They had Lindelof out on the field. They had McGuire. They had Johnny Evans. I mean, you can't have those three in your back line against Manchester City and expect anything but a defeat um, and, and a heavy defeat. So as soon as I saw the starting lineup, Alex, I, uh, I, I, I told someone uh, who was asking me at the moment saying, uh, you know, what's a good live bet right now when you see this, these starting lineups? And I said, oh, Holland hat trick. I got really, really close on that one, but uh, it was. Uh, I'm sure as soon as the the lineups came out, too, all the bookies were probably rushing to like pound that. Uh, that that as soon as they saw there was no Varane or 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 you know anyone really good in that back line. Did you see Eric Ten Hag was asked? I think it was right before the match. They saw the team sheets, and that one of the media members was asking him like, "Why why are Varane and uh, Regulon not starting? Regulon's the only." fit left back at the moment and they decided to bench him and I think they brought him on about uh, 73 minutes in so uh, too, too late to really do anything about the results and uh, uh, Varane didn't get in at all so they asked him like why, why are they not starting today and he just responded with by saying tactics which is baffling to me because I feel like the, the easy answer to that is fitness because Varane's coming back from an injury so is Regulon you could just say like, oh, they're not fit enough to play the full ninety minutes in such like a, a big game against a tough opponent, and that that would have been understandable. But but for him to turn around and say, oh, tactically, we're better, you know, we're better off playing with Johnny Evans, Lindelof, and Harry Maguire against this Manchester City team than we are with a you know four, I think it's four, four-time Champions League winner and uh, Raphael Varane. So that one left me a bit bamboozled, but. Uh, I actually, for you know, for the scoreline, I kind of liked how Manchester United like started this game. They ended up getting pushed all the way back, as you would expect, and defending pretty deep for most of the game. But there were some spells early in the in the first half where they were getting out of Manchester City's press uh, pretty often. Scott McTominay looked like a bit of a threat, and so did Hoyland. Uh, but you know, there's just there's too many players that are tasked with uh, being the match winners for this team, like Marcus Rashford, like Rashford's just gone on Fernandes. one of those it's, brutal cold spells that he did, you know, a couple of years ago before he had that 30 goal season last year, you know, we thought he was going to carry on, but he's just gone. I think he has one goal this season. I mean, that's pathetic. Also, uh, just speaking of Rashford, you know, uh, Eddie Nketia got his first Premier League hat trick before Marcus Rashford did, Alex. That is wild, though. That Marcus is wild, Rashford isn't it? Play on, play on the wing, and, and Katia is, you know, a center forward. That's sure, but more that's his still job wild. to score the goals than it is Marcus Rashford. Rashford's yeah. played in the middle plenty of times. You know, lots of games for Manchester United, and he gets shifted there constantly during games. Yeah, but we know that's not like his best position. Like he's he's played there, I guess, when he was a teenager, more so. But like he ended the last thirty games or thirty minutes of this of the game against Manchester City as the central striker. They took Hoyland off and brought Anthony on. That was another one who came on and did nothing and was like almost sent off. Just makes you think, you know, Manchester United went and spent what eighty million or something on this guy, and. I mean, they've bought a lot of players from Ajax, spent a lot of money. It's not really working out right now, and you got to think there's a lot of tension. Tensions are high at Manchester United. I think Ten Hag's on the on the on the ropes right now a little bit. Are you saying he's on the hot seat? He is. I think he's right now on the hot seat between him and uh, Sheffield's manager. 
Well, I mean, Sheffield's manager, Mark Heckingbottom, is... I, I don't even know if you could even say he's on the hot seat because they have such low expectations that, you know, even if they fired him, it's probably not going to work out regardless of who they bring in. But so what are you saying is this upcoming weekend, Manchester United have to go to Fulham to start the weekend on Saturday. If they lose that one, would you would you would you fire Ten Hag or would you expect the club to fire Ten Hag? I mean, what if like I just I, I agree with you, Alex. I was baffled by the Novaran. I was baffled by, you know, no Regulon and just playing, you know, dinosaurs instead. It's it just I was baffled by the explanation also, of that. Also the Him midfield that it's tactically why. Like, the midfield of like Bruno, McTominay, Ericsson, Amrabat, Amrabat was the most immobile, just trash midfield. He had to take Amrabat off at halftime. I mean, I just don't know what this guy's doing. You know, like uh, he started off playing Amrabat as at left back moved. Now he's playing in midfield, but with a bunch of immobile players who can't do the work. And he needs a lot of quick, agile players in front of him to do the work where he can just distribute the ball and be that central, like, you know, that focal point for the midfield, but th- that wasn't what was going on at all. You know, he was having to like launch balls in deep for runs from midfield from Bruno or from McTominay, and that's not necessarily his strength. So, not that he can't do that, but I just, you know, it, it's, it, it just seemed like for Manchester United tactically, uh, the lineup choices seems like there's a lot going on wrong. And uh, like you said, I think his, his speeches after the game have gotten a little bit more erratic, um, more angry, and, it's never a good sign, you know? No, definitely not. Uh, as for Manchester City, it just seems like business as usual. We've obviously mentioned Erling Haaland and, you know, how excellent he was. But I think there needs to be a big round of applause for uh, Bernardo Silva for just covering every single blade of grass. Uh, Jack Grealish, after we mentioned him last week as, as a player that, you know, City would expect more from so far this season. Looked much more uh, electric uh, starting in this game. Um, and you know, they've only just gotten a player like John Stones back, who, you know... Of course Grealish looked good. He was up against... Diogo Dalot. Yeah, but like, you know, the, the trash Manchester United back line, you know? Yeah, but, you know, Man United beat them at home last year. I think it was in February that Man United beat them after Grealish had scored they had the Lissandro opener. Martinez and Varane or something, you know. It's a, it's a completely different team when you have those players. I think that's why for Manchester United, you know, maybe you need to be patient. But the fans are really pissed. There were, you know, lots of chance boos. You know, it just seems like a toxic atmosphere right now. And people are calling for the manager's head. It might just be it, it almost always when things go bad, it ends up going to to the manager, even when it's not the manager's fault. This could be similar to like Potter. It might not be might not have been Potter's fault. It was just the place and time where he was at Chelsea when he was brought in, who he was brought in for. I mean, Tuchel was a far superior manager um, and Pochino's not as good as Tuchel, but somewhere probably in between Potter and Tuchel. But it's uh, it's the same thing with Ten Hag. I mean, United have gone through a gauntlet of managers, elite ones, the best ones. Uh, you know, Mourinho. You got uh, David Davide Moise say say. A decade ago, but okay. But yeah, no, and and Ten Hag's. You know, he's exciting. At Ajax, is the football that he played, but we just haven't seen that at United. So I don't, 
I just I, I don't know the identity of the team, and he's now had a year and a half with these players, basically. So it, it is very worrying to me that after a year and a half, you can't really identify how Manchester United want to play with the players that he went and bought. Because he's been backed. He's gotten a lot of money. He's went and bought players. He has, but you have to acknowledge... You have to acknowledge, like, throw them the same lifeline that I constantly have thrown Chelsea over the years, that they, they've the been injuries. one of the most injured teams in the league. You can't, like, by you can't far. though. Everyone gets injuries. Everyone yeah, but gets, they, like, they, horrible injuries. Them and Chelsea have been up there this season, at least as, you know, being the most injured teams, having the highest percentage of their, you know, total squad be injured and players who start for them or you think would start for them be injured for long periods of time. So... I, I give him some credit uh, in that way, but yeah, it, it needs it needs to improve, and just or the explanations need to improve. Um, I was trying to move us on to Manchester City, but uh, it sounds like we don't really have anything to to really dive into. Yeah, no, I mean, I uh, think I thought I was pretty routine for City. You know, it's it's kind of like with us with Sheffield. I don't. I think you, they looked at United as Sheffield. I'm sure when they saw Oof. the front lineup. Oof! Really digging the knife in and turning it there, but. Uh, I can't. I can't really disagree. Let's move on to this uh, Chelsea loss. Uh, we lost two 0 at home to Brentford Saturday in the early kickoff. Uh, goals from uh, Ethan Pinnock and uh, Brian Embuemo right at the end when uh, David Sanchez had, uh, or Robert Sanchez had uh, uh, come out to try and score an equalizer off a corner and then got his pants pulled down by letting them go and make it two 0 instead. It was a uh, it was a game that really brought Chelsea fans back down to earth after what seemed like a month of you know positive results, uh, a couple of away wins and a, and a home draw against Arsenal where the performance was uh, was very good. But you could just tell while watching this game. I, I mean, I can't speak for all Chelsea fans, but I know as someone who's watched this team uh, this season and uh, for the second half of last season, this, this was kind of a common occurrence. You'd see this all the time where the team starts very well uh, in possession, dominating the game, creates a few good chances. And when we don't take those chances, you can just see the uh, the confidence drop out of the players when that first Brentford goal went in. Um, it was a bad goal to concede. And one of our senior players in uh, Axel Dezassi was just not marking Ethan Pinnock at all, despite Thiago Silva pointing out to the back post for uh, Dezassi to go and, and mark the run that was very obviously being made. Hold on, Alex. That begs to be asked, why was Dezassi starting at right back over Reese James or Malagusto, who were both on the bench? Uh, Gusto, I think, ended up with some kind of injury, and uh, Reese James, I'm guessing he's still coming back to uh, full fitness. I'm guessing he's not fully fit enough to start games at the moment. And frankly, even when he comes on, when we're playing this back four, he's having a little trouble as a right back in a back four, knowing when to push forward and timing his his runs to be more aggressive. He He's like Ben Shewell. When Chelsea play in a back three and they have those two players with much more license to bomb forward and provide the width, it's uh, it's easier for them to you know know when to get forward and attack because they have the extra defender at the back, you know, uh, covering for them if, if the ball is lost and the, the opposition counters. But in this back four, you have to be a bit more mindful as a fullback and not a wingback of when you can get forward and when you're leaving uh, a player like Thiago Silva, who is 
you know, 39. Uh, he's he, he needs that little bit of extra cover, and you need to be mindful of that. Um, so we're still figuring out some of the, the kinks in that. And the other big miss of this game was uh, Enzo Fernandez, who without him, it felt like everything creatively in the team was going through Cole Palmer, who was excellent and, you know, set up uh, Kukurea's chance in the first half that Kukurea ended up putting straight at Mark Flecken. Um, but you could tell Brentford, they they adjusted to the threat of Cole Palmer, eventually uh, packed that, that area of the midfield, just the, the right channel that Cole Palmer was just sort of like settling into and then maybe sometimes drifting out wide or getting into the box. And they neutralized him as a threat. So not having Enzo Fernandez to control things a little bit more in midfields, that's probably been the the best aspect or most promising aspect of this Chelsea team so far this season. When we have Enzo, Moises Caicedo, and Conor Gallagher in midfield, we can dominate uh, in midfield, both with our the, the defensive work rate of those players and with their skill on the ball and keeping possession when we, when we do have it. But he had a uh, his his wife or girlfriend, I'm not sure which, uh, had their second child the night before, so you know he was he was off for this game. Um, but hopefully, with him coming back into th- coming back into the folds uh, in in future uh, fixtures, that we don't have a similar of a of a mix up. But uh, Javier, you were telling me about a theory that your dad has about Chelsea. Your dad is also a, a Chelsea fan. Yeah, so he seems to think that uh, Chelsea play worse now against... They play to the level of the opposition, basically. That against good teams, they they elevate their game, they play really well on the ball, um, and they take their chances, or they, or they you know, keep the opposition to a low amount of chances. But against shit teams, they, you know, don't play as well, they play more sloppy, don't take their chances, and you know, allow the opposition a lot of chances. So it seems like you guys look worse against the bad teams when you don't play well and you haven't, you, you, you got to draw with Liverpool. You got to draw with Arsenal. You know, you've, you've so far, you know, you've got Tottenham next. So let's see how you guys perform. But if his theory is correct, then you guys should perform well in this Tottenham game. And, uh, well, here's the thing. I, I think there's a, a, like a piece of the truth, half of the truth in that statement I think it's more simple than that. And I think it's just that if you had to pick uh, the type of team that I would want Chelsea to match up with at the moment, it would be the kind of team that wants to get on the ball, wants to press high, will leave space in behind for, uh, you know, while trying to push you or or push you back and, and press higher up the field. And that's generally, you know, uh, the better teams in the league. And I think, you know, Chelsea will have like a decent performance this, uh, well, it's going to be Monday against Tottenham uh, for that reason. Because, you know, our defensive players, for all of their faults, we have some of the best like passing defensive players and like a very good and promising midfield that can, you know, break us out of the press. We saw us break us out of the press multiple times against Arsenal. Uh, after the first 30 minutes against that Liverpool team, we started to break their press relatively easy. But, it's against these teams that play in a low block and leave no space in behind and force Chelsea to be more methodical in our approach. You saw it against Brentford this weekend. They completely neutralized like 
Nico Jackson, for example, who, you know, he's, he's a young player and it's a new league. And the only times I've seen him look very threatening have been in games against teams that allow a lot of space in behind. So you can try to boil it down to just like Chelsea do bad, badly against the shit teams, but we did pretty well against Burnley and they're pretty shit. And, you know, I I wouldn't categorize them as a team that sits deep and defends anymore. Under company, they like to get on the ball and try to go toe to toe with with teams and it's not served them well so far. And it's a reason I think they're going to end up getting relegated. But against a team like Brentford this weekend, Bournemouth uh, a month or so ago, Bournemouth away that we uh, drew nil nil. There were only there were only a few chances, and they came rather early on. And then once those teams started to get an idea of how Chelsea were trying to you know break them down and break down their low block, they could make small little adjustments to completely cut off any of the service to the players that were threatening in those games. So. The, the problem is we're not even playing that well against the, uh, the the teams that will press high because we can't consistently threaten. We don't have the goal scorers to consistently threaten at the moment. So I just want to point yeah. out, Alex, after that draw, we won 5-0. You lost 2-0 at home to uh, uh, yes, Brentford lower, and Sheffield. lower table of the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Brent, yeah. Brentford Brent, are shit. Sheff, Sheffield, a team that is having the record worst start to a Premier League season in uh, Premier League history. They have one point from the first 10 games and nine losses, and you want yes, to compare yes, them yes. to playing Brentford. Also, Brentford are a team that's that historically have won every single game in the league that they've played at Stamford Bridge. It's three wins from three for Brentford. That's crazy. So, yeah, they've got an unreal record there. They've got a great record there, and I can't blame them. They're set. They're set up perfectly to take advantage of our faults these last couple of years. So uh, good for them. All right, what do you want to move on to next? Because honestly, after those two games, I did not watch any Premier League football after the uh, Manchester derby and the uh, <laughs> the Chelsea game. The Chelsea well, game was actually, a real punch the, in the mouth to start I like the, my Saturday I like the next morning. game. Yeah, absolutely. I I. I totally feel the same way if arsenal had somehow not gotten a result against sheffield i would have been uh very very sad so yeah no but the uh the wolves newcastle game alex 2-2 i thought that game was uh fantastic and i and wolves really just surprised me um the quality that they had they went down in the game early on newcastle looked really good like they were playing their stuff and wolves came back into it kind of neutralized their threat I would say even got unlucky, extremely unlucky to concede a penalty that wasn't a penalty. Um, it looked like it was a very easy, uh, you know, clear and obvious error to overturn. And I don't know why um, the referee wasn't sent to the screen to go look at it. But yeah, that was, uh, a, a, I think, a complete BS pe- penalty that was given. Um, but N- Wolves did really well to... Uh, even after another disappointment, giving a given a penalty robbed, came back into it. I thought they were well worth the the, the goal that they got. Um, but for them, the big one, big loss is uh, Pedro Neto pulled up with a hamstring injury. Um, you know, had to be stretched off the pitch somewhere around like the 80th minute, and he was instrumental to 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 their comeback. Um, and he was just, you know, monstrous that whole game, carrying the ball up the pitch for them the whole time. And he's been he's been so good for them this season. He was the reason why I thought there's no way, you know, they're going to go down if he can stay fit. So hopefully that injury isn't for too long. Um, but yeah, even I, without him, though, I feel like in uh, Kaladzic, the striker that they signed last summer, and I think he tore his ACL or something in the very first game of the season. He's got a couple of goals this season. That you know, he's not 
impressing in terms of the number of goals he scored, but the two that come to mind right off the top of my head, uh, away at Everton in a 1-0 win and then away at Bournemouth last week to win them the game 2-1 with like a couple of minutes left, they're impactful goals. So if they start him through the middle and have uh, Huang and uh, Cunha playing behind him, that's still better than most of their competition down in the bottom half oh, of the definitely. table. But Alex, you just mentioned Huang. He's been like quietly unbelievable this season, producing against, getting goals against you know Villa, Manchester City, now against Newcastle, getting goals in big games. Um, and he was played so so well in this game, even after the the penalty that was falsely given against him. You know he's still played. You know, I think was the best player on the pitch. So with a, a Newcastle team full of quality, and I think they're going to miss Sandro Tonali a lot in these next couple of months. I think Newcastle are going to have to buy a replacement. I know Sean Longstaff's done pretty well, but the creative like midfield energy that Tonali gave them, along with Gimaraish, and kind of freed him up. You know, Bruno's had to like sit a little bit further back now and can't go forward as much. Um, and hasn't been able to, I think, impact games as much as he was earlier in the season. So I think losing Tenali, we didn't mention that, but he's now been banned for 10 months for uh, a gambling ban. Yeah, there's been like a big scandal going on in uh, Italy surrounding not only Tonali, but uh, I think it's Fascioli at uh, uh, Juventus, who was the, the the first player to to be banned, but he ended up taking a deal to inform on all of these Italian players who were using these illegal betting sites in Italy. And uh, it's still to be determined yet whether Nicolo Zaniolo, the newly signed Aston Villa player, whether he's going to be banned or not. Um, But yeah, those players are going to miss pretty much this whole season and likely the uh, Euros uh, next summer as well. So it's it's a huge story that uh, we haven't really been hitting on, but... uh, it's interesting how quickly the Italian authorities have uh, turned around and handed out the bans where it took, you know, the the FA in England like six or seven months to announce they were charging Ivan Tony with, uh, with uh, you know, betting or gambling charges and then took six or seven months for them to announce what, like how long he was going to be banned for. Uh, but yeah, that's a, a huge hit to, to Newcastle United, especially after Tonali was basically their marquee signing of the summer. But... Who knows? Uh, he uh, he could end up being their version of Adrian Mutu. I don't know if you remember uh, Adrian Mutu, the Romanian player that Chelsea signed when Roman Abramovich first came in in 2003. was great for us. And then it, we, everyone found out that he was doing coke. And uh, he got banned, sold. You know, his football career at the top level was basically over. We thought he was going to be the sort of marquee signing that could push Chelsea to, to great things. And ended up not, uh, you know, shooting ourselves in the foot and having to, to look elsewhere. I, I still have hope for Tonali because of, you know, the, the nature of this being a gambling uh, charge and not something more serious like cocaine that actually Amutu was doing, that he can turn it around and he's young enough that, you know, you can kind of criticize him and the, the rest of those players for making those mistakes but they are young players and we shouldn't just completely give up on the opportunity for them to uh, reform themselves and uh, get back to playing football rather than betting on it. Yeah. I think 10 months is a reasonable ban. I mean, I think if it had been, I think Mutu was banned for like two or three years. So I think the, the punishment yeah. goes with, uh, with, with the crime there. Chelsea ended up like suing him for a bunch of his wages back and stuff. So, um, 
Yeah, speaking of Newcastle, let's take this opportunity to take a, a look forward to this weekend. Newcastle are going to be hosting Arsenal Saturday, 1.30 p.m. Javier, how confident are you that you're going to go up to uh, Newcastle We will remain and get unbeaten, Alex. All right. That's all I'll say. I don't know what the result's going to be. I don't know how what Arteta's going to do, which worries me a little bit. Can I, can I just ask, do you, do you really care about this whole unbeaten streak? Because you remained unbeaten no, when, not you, particularly. When, when you went to Stanford Bridge, but you were still disappointed by not winning there. Of course, of course. No, it's dropping City, points. At all. City have set anything too but high a of a standard for you to any, be like, all any, right, yeah, we exactly. need to stay anything unbeaten. Anything but a game, anything but like a win is just disappointing to me now. Which is good that I have that standard now, that, that Arteta has set that standard at the club. Um, and I, I expect us to win at Newcastle, but if we don't, you know, I won't be devastated. I, I don't want us to lose. I think, I think if you draw away at your, uh, you know, the best teams in the league and you win, you know, most of your home games, you, you do well. And we've been, we've been very good away from home for the last year and a half. Um, I think Newcastle, you know, in that season when, we were trying to make top four and the season before that as well. Newcastle have been a big thorn in our side and I've, you know, beaten us, uh, when, when we've needed wins. Um, and I think we got over that a little bit last season. So, you know, we, we didn't lose. I think we got a win and a draw against them last year. And I, I, I hope to continue something like that. I think a draw here and then a win at the Emirates would, uh, would be good enough against Newcastle. They're, they're a very good side. And I expect, you know, even City to, to possibly draw points against them. See, a lot of the things that I think Chelsea did that frustrated Arsenal, I, I think those are going to be in play in this Newcastle game. And Newcastle are obviously a better team than Chelsea at the moment. They're far better drilled, and they don't let their heads drop when things stop going their way. They're, they're not as inexperienced of a team as uh, Chelsea were in that 2-2 draw against Arsenal a couple of weeks ago. I think their ability to, you know, be able to both sit back and absorb pressure and, you know, push a little bit higher up the field and, you know, make life a little bit more difficult for Arsenal. We saw what they could do in that that first Champions League home game against PSG. Now, PSG are their own sort of work in progress uh, under Luis Enrique. They're, they're not as established of a side at the moment as uh, this Arsenal team are under Arteta. So, you know, take that with a, a pinch of salt. But... There's always potential at St. James's Park for Newcastle to get it right and just outwork their opposition, get the crowd on top of the opposition and and make them make more mistakes than they maybe usually would. So th- there's always that threat. So I, I I think you're right in that a draw wouldn't be the end of the world here. But again, with that that standard city of set, you, I, I don't I don't think you can uh, you can accept a draw. You even if it's Newcastle, you have to be. Yeah, no, we have aggressive to enough to to go up there and you know be be the dominant team. Uh, try and do what you know Liverpool struggled with again with with ten men uh, in that that game that they eventually won. You've got to try and uh, neutralize Newcastle's threat off the ball just by being patient and uh, you know getting the ball to players like arrested Odegaard and most likely uh, arrested Saka. And they can win you the game. Uh, I think it's going to end up being a 2-2 draw, though. Another 2-2 draw on the road for Arsenal. What about you? I think we get a... 
1-0 win, Alex. I think we had a clean sheet on the road. I think it's a tight game, not a lot of chances. We get a chance and we score. I mean, I think defensively, we've been very, very good this season. Conceding two against Chelsea was honestly a freak. Like, we shouldn't have conceded two goals against Chelsea. Probably you mean one. A, f- a fluke? A fluke, yeah. It was a freak fluke. Um, so I don't expect this game to be like that. Um, I think we're going to play a little bit similarly to what we played against Manchester City and give them a lot of respect um, and build ourselves into the game. And I'm just very curious as to what Arteta does for the starting lineup. You know, I, I, you know, Havertz played well, but it was Sheffield United. I don't, I don't know if he deserves to start. Um, you know, Partey's not fit, so that's just not an option. I think we're going to go with, you know, Odegaard. Rice definitely has to start at the six. And then, I mean, he started Smithrow and Havertz last game, but I think he's going to start Kai Havertz. And I'm not completely against it now. So I think this no, could be you. the game. Coming around on Kai. This could, this could be the game, Alex. Yeah, this could be the game where people like actually see what he does if he starts in this game. Um, I think it'll be interesting. I think uh, I, I like what he can offer with Nketiah off of the ball. Um, I think, you know, his ability to bring the ball down and Nketiah's runs off of Kai could be, uh, could be, could be, you know, if Nketiah gets on form, usually the two are able to find each other in the box. Um, we just need him to finish some chances. Um, and Nketiah did, you know, looks like, uh, he's got some confidence right now. He's a streaky player, so it might, uh, it might, uh, continue here. Okay. Well, the other way too early preview, we, uh, need to do is this Tottenham Chelsea game on Monday. I'm not happy that it's on Monday, but uh, these are, you know, two historically somewhat big teams uh, that are not playing any European football this this season. So I guess the uh, the matchmakers have decided they can get their eyeballs on onto a game on Monday night by having these two teams play each other. I would have much rather it be played on Sunday or something like that. But anyway, I, I think we are you know, despite the loss to Brentford, the disappointment of it all, like I mentioned in that that match recap, I still have belief that this Chelsea team can give Tottenham fits. Yes, Tottenham are another team that's unbeaten this season. They're going to be at home where they've played pretty well for the most part, but they've also had some some disappointing performances that they've you know pulled out of the bag right at the end, like that Sheffield United game where they trailed for much of the, the second half and then got like 15 minutes of added time and scored twice in that added time to, to win 2-1. So I don't view them as this sort of unstoppable force that, you know, Chelsea should be, you know, shaking in their boots about. They're, they're still Tottenham. And while the, the Tottenham win is definitely the, you know, the better's favorite, I, I don't fault anyone for thinking that. Those factors that I've mentioned of Chelsea's midfield and, uh, you know, the, the space that we will be allowed by Tottenham being at home and you know looking to dominate possession, I think that that's going to leave opportunities for players like uh, Mikhailo Mudrik, for instance, and Nico Jackson uh, to, to get in behind and actually score a couple. So I'm going to go two two again for this one in, in both of the the big games of this weekend. Two two. What about you, Javier? I think Tottenham win, Alex. I uh, I, I don't have faith in Chelsea. I, I think Chelsea got lucky against Arsenal. Uh, Enzo's that back. You, that doesn't yeah, factor doesn't in matter. at all. No, Reese James think, uh, back got, fit. I think I think you got lucky against Arsenal. I think you got exposed again against Brentford, 
and you're going to get exposed again against Tottenham. I think this Tottenham team are, uh, you know, at the best, this is the best run they've ever had in the Premier League, the best start that they've had since, you know, the 60s when they won the league. You know, I said that last week, it's still true, they won again, so, yeah, it's just, uh, and I thought they were pretty impressive again against uh, Crystal Palace. You know, I know that in the end the score was 2-1, but the, the, the one goal from Palace came in like the 94th minute, so it, was, it wasn't it was a close game at all, um, and... I think for Tottenham, the way that they're playing right now, teams are having to figure it out, and Tottenham are reaping too many rewards before teams figure it out, and they're getting two, three goals, and I, I think it might be the same against Chelsea. I think you're going to try to play your style, they're going to play theirs, and they're going to play theirs better than you're playing yours. So I I, I think it's going to be 2-0 Tottenham. You know what? Screw that. Three-point lane. We're winning 2-1. I take it back. We're winning 2-1. We're I love ending it, Tottenham's. Alex. I love it. We're ending Tottenham's, you know, unbeaten streak to the season. No one gives a shit about unbeaten streaks anyway. It's coming to an end here. And Chelsea, we are the ones to do it. I would love All right, it, Javier. Alex. That leaves us a minute and a half for you to give us your uh, fantasy. What's the, what's the name of it again? The, the fantasy kitchen. Javier's fantasy kitchen. Show yeah, us. Me, what, are you, uh, what are you cook, cooking guys. up for this week? Uh, Eddie and Ketia, guys. 5.5 mil. Jesus is going to be out for at least a month. Um, you know, who knows when he's going to get fit back in the team, but Arsenal have a very kind run of fixtures. He's only 5.5 mil. You know, he got a hat trick. He's probably going to go up in price. A lot of people are bringing him in. So if you want a bargain striker, um, he's one to look at for sure at that price. I don't, I don't think there's anyone better than him. Um, I said it already, Huang, uh, I think Alex and I already both have him in our fantasy team, but he's, very, very good. Very consistent, cheap 5.5 midfielder right now. He'll probably go up in price, only owned by 2.8%. A lot of uh, a lot of people in uh, the fantasy world have been talking about Kieran Trippier. Um, that, you know, should you get rid of him? Should you hold him? I think he, he's one that you hold for a long time. He just, you hold him all season. He's a, he's a very good asset. You might bench him every once in a while, but uh, yeah, he's, he's a good one to have. Um, and then uh, it's really unfortunate that Sully March injury, Alex. Um, you know, I don't know how good Brighton are going to be offensively without Sully March in the team um, with Adringa, but Adringa's one to watch for five mil if he does get some consistent game time. Uh, him, Mitoma, and uh, it looks like Evan Ferguson. I think Brighton have a really, really easy next three games. So they have Everton away, they have Sheffield United at home, uh, Nottingham Forest away, and then Chelsea, Brentford. Burnley. Um, so the, Brighton have a really, really good run here. Uh, you know, other than Chelsea, they don't really have that that difficult. Everyone's in the bottom like five. So if you're uh, Evan Ferguson, he's cheap as well. I think he's like six million striker. That's one I would be bringing in right now. If he's going to get goals at any point during this season, he's going to rack them up in this like three, four games right here. Same with uh, with you know someone like Adringa might get some returns. Uh, obviously, Show up, Pedro. Well. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for that, Javier. If you want to follow Javier on Twitter, you can do so at JavierRev9. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ASMoss92. And you can follow the podcast socials at GhostGoalPod. Enjoy the games this weekend. And until next time, everyone. See you.